Thank you, choir, orchestra, musicians leading us. Uh, there's a song that is calling us home. A song calling us home. Mindy elbowed me while they were singing in one of the verses, you know, come let us adore him, or come all ye faithful. It talked about the citizens of heaven that are singing his praises. And uh, one day we'll, we'll all do that together. I uh, started thinking about my grandparents and my dad and done a few funerals in, in my years and just thinking about all of the people that are in heaven today around the throne worshiping the Lord in his presence. And one day you and I will be there with them uh, quicker sometimes than we think. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me to Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter, and as you're doing that, I want to share with you an update on our mission offering. You know, we combine all the four mission offerings, and this year we, we tried something different to put them all into one offering, and we set a goal of, do you remember the amount, $120,000, which is the would be the highest offering uh, we had received, even if you combine all four. And since last Sunday, another $15,000 in uh, gifts has come in. And so just to, with a goal of 120000 thus far, uh, $221,000 have, have come in in one-time gifts and another 33000 in monthly commitments for 2022. So we are at... $254,000. And so to God be the glory for that. And uh, to God be the glory. And, uh, you know, the biggest chunk of that is going to go to the International Mission Board for Church Evangelism and Planning to the Nations. And I just, I just uh, believe that we as a church, as we uh, have the mind of Christ and we see the world as God sees the world and sees and see lostness and see the nations without any gospel witness as we get on board and give and serve and pray that God will continue to strengthen us and bless us as the church in proportion as we uh, strive to advance the gospel both here in New Albany and to the nations. So to God be the glory for that. Praise the Lord with me. Um, invite you to open with me to Matthew's gospel and we're going to look at just looking at the Christmas story, and uh, just to remind you, as you get there, Matthew is writing to Jews as a Jew uh, that trying to convince them to see from the scriptures, and because Matthew provides more Old Testament scripture in his gospel than any others, because he's appealing to Jews from their own scriptures that Jesus is their Messiah. If you'll notice in the first chapter. Uh, he provides the genealogy, uh, goes back all the way, not to Adam like Luke does, but he takes the genealogy back to Abraham. So why would that be uh, appealing and smart to do that as the Holy Spirit leads him to write to appeal to Jews? Because the Jews recognize that Abraham was the father of Israel, the father of their nation. And so he traces it back to Abraham, intentional to show that Jesus fits into this Davidic, Abrahamic line. And then uh, he provides the text that I invite you to read, read with me, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. 
This is how Jesus was born. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the written revelation that you've given to us in the Bible of the incarnation, God, of you demonstrating your love for us and for the world that you sent Jesus, your son, in the fullness of time to be born under the law of a, of a virgin. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us today from your word through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and that you would have your way in each of us today for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew begins with an explanation of timing, of timing, uh, God's timing. Look at verse 18. It says, after... Mary and Joseph were betrothed, or after they were espoused, engaged, legally wed, but before, so after they were engaged, but before they consummated the marriage, there is a statement there, Mary was found with child of the Holy Spirit, quite a dilemma. Quite a dilemma, quite a crisis for Mary that God places her into. Someone has said you'll either in life find yourself coming out of a crisis or going into a crisis most all of the time. God places Mary, his timing creates a crisis. And if you remember from last Sunday, Luke's account leaves no doubt that Mary is clear on this message. You remember the angel Gabriel appears to her. He is sent by God, Gabriel's own mission, to deliver God's word. And here Mary is 
young girl engaged, sitting alone in her bedroom perhaps, reading brides' magazines, and suddenly this angel appears in her room and says, Mary, don't be afraid, don't be troubled, but rejoice, for you are blessed, Mary. You are graced. You are favored. You've been chosen by God, and the Lord is with you. Then somewhat of an explanation, he says the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is about to overshadow you, and God's power will work within you, and you will conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for your son, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. And then there was some dialogue little dialogue between Mary and the angel. Mary, upon hearing the message, you remember, responds with great humility and faith. She never questions God's ability to pull all of this off. Rather, she simply asks, how? How can this be since I have never known a man? How is this going to work since I am a virgin? And the angel Gabriel reminds her, Mary, I want you to remember something. With God, nothing is impossible. He is able to do everything that he says he can do. And then Mary's closing benediction was she confesses her identity. She confesses her identity. I am your maidservant. That's who I am. That's my identity, a servant. I am your servant. And then she declares her commitment, let it be done to me according to your word. It's a picture of humble submission, of trust and faith. However, God not only delivers this message, but as God always is faithful to do, he does some things to encourage our faith. Have you found that, experienced that lately? Has God, have you seen God do anything personal in your life that's encouraged your faith? That he's done something, he's shown you something to just to remind you a little bit that he loves you and he's with you and he's at work in your life and in the life of your family just to encourage you. God is so faithful to do that and so he does that for Mary. Because Mary's faith, just like your faith and my faith, it can become weak. And God knows that our faith can become weak. And so to build her up, God tells her also about her relative Elizabeth. About Elizabeth. Hey, you remember? Remember Elizabeth? She's old and her and Zacharias, have, they've been barren, never able to have a child. Well, guess what? Mary... Your old relative, Elizabeth, is also pregnant, and she's going to have a son. And sure enough, God knew what Mary would do. The Bible says after the angel leaves her, she arose with haste and went on a trip. Guess where she went? She went south from Nazareth down to, to the area of Jerusalem, and she went there to check things out, to go, go find Elizabeth. And the purpose of the trip was to verify the message. 
I'm sure Mary said, hey, mom and dad, and she probably let, let Joseph know this. I'm going I'm to take a little trip if it's all right with everyone, and I'm going to go south. Probably doesn't tell them what she's going south for, but she goes down south and to visit Elizabeth to verify the message, and God was doing this to let Mary know in order to bolster her faith, and it worked. Look at, look at uh, if you have your Bible and you want to keep your place in Matthew, just kind of, just very quickly go to Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. Just kind of describes this, this meeting when, when Mary arrives there, and a Mary rose, this is Luke 1, verse 39, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice. Elizabeth said to Mary, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe John leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Do you think that bolstered Mary's faith? You bet. Just as God said, Elizabeth is beginning the sixth month of her pregnancy, and most women at five months are starting to pooch out there pretty good, and she arrives and sees her old relative Elizabeth She's pooched out, she's pregnant, and she, and we don't know how, but somehow the Lord had let Elizabeth know what was going on with Mary, and Elizabeth confirms the message to Mary. It's an amazing, amazing work of God to encourage her. So to summarize for Mary, so far so good. Up to this point, God's message to her was all proving to be true, exactly as he had said. But before she would embark on the difficult task that still was in front of her, that she was faced with, and that was the task of telling her story to Joseph, to tell her story to her mother and to her dad, and to her siblings and her friends and to her rabbi, none of them who are going to believe her story. I can imagine she waits yet a little longer, a little longer. In fact, Luke 156 says she stays with Elizabeth for three months before she goes back north to Nazareth. And her and Elizabeth just kind of hang out, two pregnant women, just sharing, talking about the Lord, sharing this experience that they're both going through. And just to verify God's plan, she waits. She stays there with her, waiting also to see if there were actually any physical changes to her own body. Everything's proven to be true thus far, and now she's waiting. Is, is there any physical evidence in my own body that I'm pregnant? 
And so she receives the message from God, Mary. Elizabeth has confirmed the message. Elizabeth already knew about Mary's pregnancy. And then Mary's body begins to physically change. You know what? If this were happening today, I think Mary would have taken one final step before she started trying to share this news with everyone else. I think that she would have secretly made a trip up to Walgreens and would have purchased one of those EPT home pregnancy kits with the test strips inside. And after carefully reading the directions on the box, waiting to see and how, what, how she was to understand these colors, if I was doing it, I would put red was a no-go, and green was, it's all a go. And so waiting maybe for the right color for green, and listen, don't, don't take that literally. You, go, you may buy a pregnancy test and go home and say, Pastor Charlie said it's green. I don't know anything about the colors of those pregnancy says, but that's the way I would do it, green for go. And after she sees the right color, game's on. For sure, this is all happening exactly as God said it would. He's verified everything. And then it was time to begin conveying the story to her family and to Joseph. Verse 19, the Bible describes Joseph as a just man, a righteous man, which means he was a guy that was determined to please God with his life. He, he was a guy who wanted to live above reproach and tried to honor God in all the things that he did. And, and so just try and imagine the conversation that Mary had to have with Joseph. I can picture Joseph getting off work and before he went home, he stops by Mary's house and Mary's mom and dad invite him to stay for dinner, you know, those young son-in-laws always like a free meal. And, and after dinner, Mary and Joseph go out onto the front porch and maybe sit in the porch swing together and Joseph holds her hand and they're talking about the wedding. And he's talking about the house he's been working on, the one he's fixing up for them so that when they marry, they've got this place of their own. And Mary's not hearing a word he's saying. Because all she can think about is, how? How am I going to break the news? How am I going to tell him? And he's talking about paint colors for the house and the new table and chairs that he's been working on. And the whole time Mary's praying silently. And after weeks of putting it off, she gets the courage up and she interrupts Joseph and says, I have something I need to share with you. And she begins to recount the story and the series of events that she'd experienced. And after she conveys a few details, her worst fears are realized. Things don't go well. It's pretty awful. The conversation is pretty awful. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because in verse 19 of the text, Joseph decides to file for divorce. It's a pretty good indicator that the story didn't go over too well. Joseph concludes perhaps that she was lying. She'd been unfaithful. He's crushed. And so verse 19, he comes to the conclusion to put her away secretly, to file for a quiet divorce, not wanting to shame her, not wanting to 
embarrass her publicly, to make a public example of her because he loves her and cares about her, but he just can't accept her story. It's too much. And it's very unlikely that anyone else is going to believe it either. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. As tough as this was for Joseph to hear, as tough as it was for him to accept, far tougher for Mary. In reality, she's kind of alone. Just kind of out there with God. It's just her and God and her faith. And I will tell you, there may be times in your life where in in your relationship with God, you might feel alone. When you're going through something, when God's allowing you to experience something and you feel alone, Mary could have easily responded with anger and resentment. She could have responded, well, God, you've chosen the wrong girl. This is not fair. What you are proposing to occur in my life, God, does not fit into my plans. I'm going to become the laughingstock of my family. This embarrassment is heavy. I just can't do it. And so I think it's best, God, if you find someone else. No, that's not how Mary responds. She may have, listen, she may have had some of those thoughts. She may have struggled with some of those ideas that were creeping into her mind, but that's not how she responds to God's call upon her life. Rather, the Bible says she submits her life fully to God. And while she doesn't understand it all and doesn't know how it's all going to work out, she lives by faith, clings to God's word, and surrenders to him in a fresh way. God, my life is yours. Whatever you deem best, I'll rest in your presence. I'll rest in your promise and your grace. And as you study, her faith was justified. Look with me at verse 20 and 21. Back to Joseph while he thought about these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. God proves faithful. God proves faithful. He intervenes. God intervenes. The Bible says that while Joseph is thinking about all of these things, with his mind racing, with all of these thoughts about the wedding and Mary and the house and the pregnancy story and the conversation, trying to determine this best course of action, divorce papers, and how to keep it all quiet, and how to manage it all, and how to explain this divorce that he's going to have to explain to his own family and friends, and to his rabbi, and trying to figure it all out, and how to pray, and sort through it. He's thinking through it all, gathering all the facts, adding it all up together, and making the best decision for himself and for Mary and for everyone involved. 
But God intervenes and delivers another message, another word. While he sleeps, God speaks through a dream, an angel of the Lord. Maybe this was also Gabriel and says several things to Joseph in this dream. Very specific things. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to follow through with the wedding. Get married. She's telling you the truth, Joseph. This child conceived in her womb is of the Holy Spirit and she will have a boy. And you're to name him Jesus and he will serve as the Savior. Saving men and women from their sins. And this dream, this message from the Lord aligns with Mary's story. God's intervention brings things together. God, through his word, holds all things together. In the midst of this trial, in the midst of this test, God speaks, he delivers a message, and brings clarity to everyone involved. Can you imagine Joseph getting up from his dream? He hustles off to Mary's house, and verse 24 says, once that he is aroused from sleep, that's exactly what he does. And he shares with her God's message to him. God's word. Imagine Mary. Here she hears Joseph share these things with her, and he believes her. That he believes her story. Further backed up by God's message to him. Has to be reassuring. It has to, think about this. This, this had to strengthen Joseph and Mary's relationship. They're legally bound. They're legally wed at this point. And this message unites them as never before. They, they share, think it, they share a common message a mission from God that he entrusts to them as a couple. Can you imagine the conversations on the front porch swing after that? The wedding plans resume, everything's back on track, and now they're thinking about how they're going to proceed. And, and listen, all of it, all of it with a sense of purpose. There was a bigger purpose than them just getting married. There's a much greater purpose than that. And even though this is not going to be easy for the two of them, and most people are still not going to understand, I started thinking about this, how important it is even today for husbands and wives today to be under the Word of God together. And if you're single, if you're not married, you're by yourself or you're married, how in the midst of trial and testing, you may have different perspectives and different pages of life that you're going through, but God wants to unite you, and God will unite you through his word to bring forth a sense of purpose that the two of you are to glorify God, and the two of you, or if you're single, you're to live with a sense of mission and purpose that's greater than just being married. Much bigger than that. Because it's easy to forget while we're together. 
It's easy to lose sight of that. We're together, we work, and we both have jobs, and we're serving and busy and paying bills and running the kids here and there and caring for the kids and going to church and doing all these things. And it's real easy to lose perspective in life that we're just doing it week after week, going through the same old motions day after day, week after week, month after month, and to lose perspective that there's a purpose in it all. A much bigger purpose. Husbands and wives, let me specifically ask you, do the two of you feel and understand that God has a mission for your marriage? A larger mission than just going through the motions? And as difficult and straining as trying sometimes as that can be, that, that you are together for his glory? For his purposes? How long has it been since the two of you sat on a porch swing together and held hands? Or sat on a beach together alone and just held hands and talked about God and how God was working in your lives? How God was leading you, things that God was revealing to you and showing you about your marriage and your relationship and your purpose together? Listen, it's really inspiring to me to reread this story and to consider Mary and Joseph's obedience. Mary's yielding. I'm yours, God. Let it be to me according to your word. And Joseph, the Bible says in verse 24, he also did what God commanded him to do. He obeys. He acts. He moves in faith according to God's word. He marries Mary. And this, this is pretty pretty. Amazing too, the self-control that he as a new married husband has. He restrains himself from any physical intimacy until after the birth of the baby. And he names his son, not Joseph, not Yeshua. He names him Jesus. And Mary gives birth to this baby in Bethlehem. And if you go over to Matthew chapter 2, then another message comes to Joseph, and he says, get, get out of Bethlehem, and I want you to relocate to Egypt. <laughs> kind of like, move from where you are to a new place, to Egypt, for a purpose. That I'll show you, that I'll under, help you to understand, but I want you to get out of here. And, and so Joseph obeys. He moves from Nazareth, goes all the way down to Egypt, and then later finds out that Herod had issued a decree to slaughter all of the baby boys under the years, uh, two years of age and under. Didn't happen to Mary and Joseph because Joseph obeyed the Lord. He was spared from that slaughter. God was watching over them. And then later in Matthew chapter 2, after they're down in Egypt for a while, God says, I want you to move back north to Jerusalem. And so Joseph obeys, now he moves back to Jerusalem, and then God intervenes there and says, hey, uh, Herod's son, Archelaus, is alive, and so now I want you to move back all the way to Nazareth. Don't stay in Jerusalem. And Joseph obeys. He moves back north to Nazareth. Obedient. And while not much is mentioned 
From this point on about Joseph in the Bible, it's notable that he is a husband, a man of faithful obedience to God. There's something special, something different and refreshing about a man and about a husband who's living to obey God instead of just living for the world. A husband, a man, can be a young man, or a middle-aged man, or an older man. There's something refreshing about a man in this culture today who is committed to Christ and is willing to obey his word, to live a righteous, just life before God. A man. Are you that man? Some of you young guys in high school, are you already establishing that for your life, that you want to be a godly man, a, live, a man that lives for Christ, that lives different than the culture, different from the world, uh, a young man, a married man, and you want to live to serve the Lord and to love your wife as Christ loves the church, and you may not feel like you're doing a good job of that, but God will help you and God will show you and encourage you if you're just staying there and serve. We need more men like that. More men. You, do, you, do you know that there are lots of young, young women who are looking for a man who will love them as Christ loved the church? And I want to tell you the pickings is getting more and more slim in this culture. For godly men, young men and old men and middle-aged men like who are committed to Christ, committed to his word, and put away the alcohol, and put away the drugs, and put away the video games, and put away the pornography, and put away the flirt, all the mess and garbage that this culture pushes at us. And we'll stand for Christ like Joseph and say, I'll, God, I'll be your man by your grace. I want to do it your way to please you. To be that kind of man. Mom and dads, I want to encourage you not to lose sight of your purpose, especially when other people may not understand. To be obedient, to act on God's word without delay, to obey him immediately, to trust him when he, and whatever he says to you, trust the Lord. Trust him, trust his word. You, you may not want to do what God is asking you to do, but trust him. Trust him. He'll be faithful. He'll bless you. He'll provide for you. Bring joy. He'll bring joy to your obedience. In verses 22 of 23 of this text, Matthew summarizes the whole story. All of, it's, all of this is foretold in Scripture to stimulate their faith in Christ. We see in Matthew's gospel the most profound mystery in the universe, that of the incarnation, that God took on human flesh. That's in the incarnation. Jesus' nature, both natures, through Mary giving birth to Jesus, we see his humanity. He was born of a woman fully human like us. The Lord Jesus was like us physically and mentally and emotionally in his human nature. He is also fully able to identify with us in all of our struggles. The Bible says in Hebrews, he was tempted, tested in all points as you and I are, yet without sin. However, because Mary was a virgin, 
without Joseph being the earthly father, we also see Jesus' divinity. He was fully God, brought forth through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in his life and his ministry demonstrated full authority as God over nature and disease and demons and sin and death. He was Emmanuel, God with us. Born into a fallen world, a world that was lost in need of a salvation, in need of a Savior, God reached out to us. So Matthew records now, the birth of Jesus Christ, this was as follows. And think about this, Christ was in his last name. Charlie Davis, Jesus Christ. What his last name? Christ, right? Means Messiah, the anointed one. The word birth now this, the birth of Jesus Christ was a father. The birth, that word literally is translated Genesis. Now the Genesis of Jesus, the Messiah, was as follows. Genesis means origin, beginning. Just as the Spirit brought forth life at creation when God formed Adam from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the Spirit, the breath of life, Adam became a living soul, a living being. Mary likewise is overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit brings forth life. It's the Genesis Genesis 3.15 foretells, also promises that one day the Spirit of God will raise up seed, a singular seed, as the offspring from a woman who would crush the head of Satan, the serpent. Matthew is saying that Jesus is that seed. That singular seed born of a virgin. This is the Genesis born of Mary to once and for all defeat sin and Satan and death who would go to a cross and who would die on the cross and suffer, paying the penalty for our sins and then would rise again, providing for you and I the hope that we've been singing about this morning. In the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness and we have new life. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message to be shared through our lives as we go, as we live, to represent him with our marriage, to represent him with our family, with our words, with our actions, with our finances. That light has come. We've seen that light. And then we too are lights shining in the darkness for all the world to see. Hillcrest, this Christmas, remember, Christ has come to save the lost. And God is always faithful to his word. Let's pray.